I don't think y'all know how much I've hemmed and hawed over this episode. How much thinking I've put into it with false starts and attempts at navigating our path, only to scrap every idea I wrote down. Today, we're talking about the dark side of fandom. And frankly, I feel pretty conflicted with this topic. Maybe it's because I still feel conflicted with fandom as a whole. (laughs) Like, I joke that the full title of this podcast should be In Defense of Fandom, or How I Learned to Stop Fearing and Embrace the Cringe. A little strange love reference in there for you fellow nerds. But have I actually embraced the cringe? Am I truly, totally comfortable in this space? That's a complicated question that has at least two answers. (laughs) Okay, I don't mean yes and no. Or do I? What I mean is the discomfort around fandom and SPN family is different flavors and levels when comparing how outside friends react to it versus the interactions of those within the fandom. And what's viewed as a problem worth focusing on is totally different between those two groups. I've been a longtime fan for lots of books and movies and TV series, but I never really stepped into the fandom space. First, because I was an otaku in rural Texas, and there weren't enough like-minded kids at my school to geek out over Full Metal Alchemist with me in person. Our internet dial-up was painfully slow, and online forums just made me leery. Then, as I grew up, I had other interests and didn't have the money to go to conventions or go all out on cosplay. I was content to text my little brother about our shared geek interests and maybe watch a few too many YouTube videos about them and call it a day. So while I was definitely a fan, I didn't feel part of a fandom community. I don't know the magic sauce, but something changed when I got into Supernatural. I tend to blame the COVID pandemic for breaking my brain, but it could be a myriad of other things. Finally finishing school and getting a job with disposable income? Check. Losing my grad school community as folks moved away and having too much free time on my hands? Check. Discovering I wasn't alone and there was a flourishing SPN family community? Check. I'm not sure that's the complete recipe, but there you have it. So as someone with only one foot in fandom, I still understand the complaints lobbed at fandom in general, and SPN fans specifically. As we journey into the dark side of fandom, I'm going to do my best to navigate the rough terrain and provide what I hope is a fair assessment. The first leg will cover the complaints coming from outside, and in the second half, we'll hear the calls coming from inside the house. Let's get rolling. Because of their role in promoting and financially supporting the artists they love, fans have maintained a creator's hand throughout those artists' careers, treating them as collaborative projects. They take responsibility for every setback and share in the thrill of every success. When I was reading Everything I Need I Get From You by Caitlin Tiffany, this particular quote really stuck with me probably because it's a distillation of a complaint I've heard a lot before. Namely, from my close friends who aren't in fandom. Let me introduce you to them. This is Chris Scott. Just fandoms feeling like they own own it. Own the, the property that they love so much. It's like, but you don't. The person who created it does. And Cassie Scott. I would never say that something that I'm a fan of is like part of my identity. Like, I'm just more like, oh, I am a fan or like I enjoy like 
movies or I enjoy like music. Of all my very nerdy friends, these two are the ones who most consistently reference films and shows and music with a truly deep appreciation for the art, while still being utter snobs about the fans of that art. I feel like anytime I've met someone that like says that they're a rabid fan of, I don't know, I tend to like, I am, I'm always like a little like eyebrow, like, mm, like what, what kind of fan are you? I think like I get a little nervous because like I am more wary of like the more kind of like crazed fans. In fact, they don't consider themselves fans at all. It's not that they don't enjoy shows or enjoy doing deep dives on things like costuming and set design for a particularly well-made piece of media. In fact, Cassie joined me for San Diego Comic-Con, and Chris knows more about the similarities and differences between the comics and television version of The Boys than anyone I know. I'd argue they are, by definition, fans. They just don't relate at all to the version of fandom that is so convinced that it's the one true way to view and appreciate a show. I think with fandoms, there is an inherent feeling of ownership. I, I as a fan, have some kind of ownership of this. It is mine. It is important to me. Those types of feelings. I don't feel ownership over anyone else's creative output. I don't feel like I should have a say in it. I don't feel like I should, they should not be doing anything to please me as an audience member. The only person that artist needs to please at the end of the day is themselves because they're the artist. I'm not. I feel like I have so much respect for the people that are actually like writing and creating and making the thing that like to think that I would know better than them is just so crazy. And once again, I really need to stress that this couple for all their complaints are fans of things to a frankly extremely nerdy degree. I have a reproduction of Indiana Jones's jacket that I wear. <laughs> like, yeah. but it's subtle. It's it's a modified like bomber jacket. Like it yeah. if you didn't know it's an Indiana Jones jacket, if you're not looking for like the telltale markers, you just think it's another bomber jacket. So it's it's the the subtlety, you know, is one thing I do enjoy. Like I am a fan of things. I am just incredibly turned off by fandoms. When I first started getting into Supernatural, I had already heard Chris and Cassie make these complaints before. And I do think they're right that some fans can get so wrapped up in what they think should have happened in a scene or should have been the ending that some fans end up spewing a lot of hate online toward actors or creators involved with the project. I think the most obvious example to point to here is the hate and backlash we've seen from fans of Star Wars, especially the latest trilogy, which included new stories and a more diverse cast than the previous series. Actors like John Boyega were relentlessly attacked online, and actors who had intersectional identities, like Kelly Marie Tran, were especially targeted. This harassment got to the point that she quit all social media in 2018 to protect her mental health. All this by fans who saw the series as invalidating their interpretations and not meeting their expectations for the newest entries in the Star Wars universe. Researcher Sean Taylor, who you met in the first episode of this series, explains this phenomenon rather succinctly. But when it becomes this point where if I am if I don't like your fandom, now you think I don't like you, that becomes problematic. It's like a weird kind of transference. <laughs> like it's, it's like super odd. 
So when we have fans who feel ownership over property and make that their entire identity, we see these toxic experiences come out. It can be as minimal as kvetching on a Reddit thread about a series and as serious as making death threats against an actor or writer that a fan doesn't like. I do think this is a problem in a lot of fandom community spaces, and as Sean explains, part of that might come from our underdog mentality. It was so uncool to be a nerd or a geek for so long, to want to talk about the latest Spider-Man story arc or get excited for the voice casting for a new animated Batman film. But to put it bluntly, we aren't the underdogs anymore. Thing is now that geekdom fandom is no longer marginalized. It's the center now. Like we are no longer the outcast. We are the ones driving many aspects of culture and commerce. And we have to stop acting like we're still marginalized because it's really ridiculous. I do agree with Chris and Cassie and Sean that when feelings of ownership and identity become all-encompassing, it leads to a lot of normal-seeming people to do some pretty awful things. However, I would like to point out that this is a problem with fandoms broadly speaking. There's nothing special about the SPN family, as far as I can tell, that has a unique issue with identity and ownership. Have I seen examples of people making SPN family their entire identity to their detriment? Yeah, I think so. Do I think that's the entire fandom? No, definitely not. Another complaint I heard from Cassie and Chris, especially when I was working on episode two on writing, was that writing fan fiction was essentially lazy. Like doing fan fiction, doing things like that is just playing on easy mode. Like you have this world already built and you're just playing with other people's sandbox. toys in it. You're in the sandbox. Now, here is an argument I strongly disagree with. I don't think there's anything wrong with learning to write fan fiction. Plus, I have seen so many authors develop their prose, learn better narrative techniques, and build unique friendships with readers and editors alike through fan fiction. Chris was particularly peeved when I mentioned stories set in AUs, in alternate universes, why couldn't the authors just fully commit to the world they were building and try to get it published as a standalone novel? It's a fair question, but an easy answer. Not every writer is writing in hopes of landing a book deal. Fanfiction writers especially are writing for fun. Having an agent and getting published and making money are not required for someone to be a real writer. A passion doesn't need to become a career or slog of extra work for it to have value. And at least as a fanfic writer, you have a somewhat built-in audience who will actually read your work. I spent a summer writing about science for a news outlet, and I think I got maybe two messages from readers about things I reported on. So I get the desire and enjoyment out of writing for an audience that will actually engage. For what it's worth, Chris and Cassie clearly don't hate my deep dive into fandom that much, because Chris is the one who has been writing and performing the music for this podcast. Before we return to some voices you've heard in previous episodes, I want to address one concern that spans both fandom and those outside that world. Uh, the parasocial relationships are like, really like that is very scary to me. A parasocial relationship, for those who haven't heard the term, is a psychological phenomenon of a one-sided relationship between two people. 
It's when an audience member feels a sense of personal closeness with an actor or performer, or even athlete. When you read enough stories about the personal lives of celebrities or watch enough confessional-style videos on YouTube, it's easy to feel a level of closeness with that other person, even if you've never met them. <laughs> Heck, I've felt the parasocial pull towards certain podcasts that I listen to, where the voices coming through my headphones just feel like old friends. For all I know, some of you listeners might feel a parasocial connection to me. Man, I guess I never really thought about that. Anyways, I'm not saying that parasocial relationships are always bad. It really is only considered a problem when a person prioritizes these relationships over real relationships in their lives. Or when people stop engaging with the world around them, feeling progressively more lonely as they fixate on a one-sided relationship with a public figure. This relationship becomes a problem when people fall for the illusion of intimacy, usually through repeated exposure to media stories that portray them in a positive light and feeling like the celebrity is sharing in an open and truthful manner. The more honest or real a celebrity appears, the easier it seems to be to slip into these parasocial relationships. And, well, supernatural conventions do feel a bit like a perfect breeding ground for this phenomenon. A supernatural does kind of toe the line because, like, they have all these, like, events and they're meeting all the guys, which honestly is, like, a testament to, like, they must have the most incredible media training because, like, those guys don't have anything negative has never been said about them. They have the most squeaky clean records. So either they're just, like, perfect media, like, yeah, like, training, or they're, like, they're just the most squeaky clean guys. In this case, Cassie was specifically talking about Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles. From Texas, not a scandal between them. Like, they are just, must be the most yeah. wonderful human beings, I guess. Which, hey... I take offense to the Texas comment. There are plenty of great people from Texas, like me. <laughs> but I do hear her concern here. Right now, there are eight conventions for 2023 in different U.S. cities. That means fans have nearly monthly opportunities to see the Supernatural cast in person and to get their autographs, take staged, occasionally couple-y photos, and ask them questions during panels. This definitely builds a sense of closeness that I don't think matches how the cast feels about those individual fans. Granted, I haven't spoken to any cast members about this. My DMs on Twitter are open if any cast members are listening and want to share, though. But I did see a recent social media post by Misha Collins sharing an episode of the podcast The Happiness Lab, which covered the happiness of being a fan. In his post, Misha said, I have at times felt a little weird about fan conventions. It's strange being put on that pedestal and meeting strangers who feel like they know you. But this podcast made me understand and appreciate fandom in a new light. I'm glad Misha doesn't think we're all a bunch of crazies for wanting to have him sign our fan art or take photos with us as Castiel. But I also understand the trepidation. With as long as official SPN conventions have been going on since 2007, I do think the cast recognize some of the most frequent audience members and can build a rapport. But it reminds me more of a relationship you have with a favorite bartender at your neighborhood watering hole. You know each other's names, and they might even remember your usual order, but that doesn't make you friends. So I'll concede this point to Chris and Cassie. Parasocial relationships are common in fandom, and I think the SPN family is somewhat especially susceptible to this pitfall. 
I've heard whispers within SPN family warning each other about known stalkers in the fandom and have seen fans surreptitiously point out added security at conventions, indicating a fan may have fallen too far into that parasocial trap. Okay, for a podcast about fandom, I think we've heard enough from outsiders. This whole first season is about the SPN family after all, so let's get back on track. When conducting all my interviews with fellow fans to put this podcast together, I always made sure to ask about the dark side. What were some of the problems or issues that they faced within the SPN family? And just like any extended family, there are spats and there are comments that get taken out of context and create a level of internal drama. But what I wanna focus on here I can categorize into three main buckets. Shipping wars, a sense of character ownership, and what I'll broadly call internet problems. I think all of these are somewhat intertwined, but it helps to separate them out. And starting with shipping wars, I do think helps set some of the tone for the disagreements and toxic elements within SPN family. As a quick refresher, shipping is a term that refers to wishing for or pretending that two characters in a series are in a relationship. I first brought this up in episode two on writing when we covered how much of fan fiction can be categorized into these ships. In many fandoms, there's some disagreement between shippers and anti-shippers, but that doesn't seem to be the prevailing problem of Supernatural. But I believe that a lot of people are afraid to admit they're multi-shipper. And that's because unfortunately, there is a little bit of hate surrounding different ships and this is not just in the supernatural fandom it's every fandom you know supernatural fandom tends to be a little more aggressive with some of their main ships danny also known as lotr spn fangirl on twitter has been in fandoms for much of her life and she's definitely seen the fights that can arise from fans who only like one ship and try to shut down other fans with different ships and i will say that my First issues started with the Wincest groups finding out that I didn't hate Castiel or Misha. And I was like, well, why? Why do I have to hate them to also like J2 or Wincest? I don't get it. And I got a lot of slack for that. Okay. I have to explain some jargon here for the uninitiated. Wincest is exactly what it sounds like. It's the romantic pairing of Sam and Dean Winchester together. J2 is the same idea, but refers to the actors who play these characters, Jared and Jensen. And the reason Wincest or J2 proponents might hate actor Misha Collins or his character Castiel is because the most popular SPN ship is Destiel, or Dean and Cass as a couple. So I'm not going to lie, the Wincest thing is not for me, but I get that these are fictional characters and I'm not going to dictate what people should or shouldn't fantasize about. But the problem does arise for me when fans who take their ships so far that they foster a dislike or even hatred for both Castiel and Misha. And sometimes this hate can get turned towards fans who either ship Destiel or even those who are multi-shippers and can imagine lots of different characters paired off together. As Danny explains happened to her. And actually like got kind of ostracized from the J2 Winces side. And so I was like, well, F this, I'm going to go to Destiel then. So then I made a bigger group of friends over on the Destiel side. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I have a lot of really great Wincess friends. A lot of them I have now since kind of convinced to not like hate 
Castiel or Misha because I'm like, why are we hating anyone? Like, if you don't like want to read it, just don't read it. So shipping wars between different fictional characters ends up creating real world strife and can make it hard for casual fans to want to join the SPN family. Being asked to pick sides in a meaningless fandom debate that probably isn't for everyone in the first place as soon as you join the online fan realm sounds exhausting and stressful. And in some ways, it can end up impacting one of the best parts of being a fan. If being a fan means getting to express your full identity or parts of your identity that you don't usually get to share, seeing online flame wars between portions of the ESPN family can limit your enjoyment of the show itself. Ships or no ships. I think a lot of people find their circle and don't talk about the other ships they enjoy. Because I have quite a few people that will reach out to me and be like, so on the down low, I also like that ship. Do you have any suggestions? And I'm like, yeah, here's some fix. So I wish that it was less taboo to be a multi-shipper. Um, a lot of people are like, yay, pro shipping. You can ship whatever you want. Not as many people practice what they preach. And I think the attitudes around shipping represent a core issue of something Chris and Cassie did point out, fans feeling ownership over the characters of Supernatural. It's great when you identify with characters. Who doesn't want to be smart like Sam or rebellious like Claire or sophisticated like Rowena? But liking a character or identifying with them doesn't mean you own that character or that your interpretations of them are gospel. Take, for example, what happened to Carrying Wayward podcaster Marie. So we encountered a lot of uh, homophobia the second that we started to talk about Dean as a queer character. Immediately from there, I think, like, it sort of put us in the quote-unquote Destiel fandom, in the Destiel camp, if you would like to talk about it that way. And so we were kind of left alone from there. Like, we blocked very strategically a few accounts on Twitter and TikTok. And then from there, it got better. But I mean, we did get like a death threat, which was absolutely mind boggling to me. It was a few days before the Christmas holiday, a few, a couple, last year, actually, just for saying that a fictional character is queer. You might remember her voice from episode four on audio. In Marie's and my conversation, we had talked about how the way the character Dean is written often comes across as a closeted queer, perhaps bisexual character. And there's even hints of evidence for this. For instance, show creator Eric Kripke has said that he created Dean based on Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Dean Winchester being based on Dean Moriarty, who was in turn based on the real-life Neil Cassidy, who had several sexual relationships with other men. But regardless of whether Kripke explicitly intended to make the character of Dean Winchester queer, getting a death threat simply for saying so is an outsized reaction. One that you only really see happen when people feel like a character is theirs and any conflicting interpretations are a threat. But I really thought that in the year 2020, we were kind of past that. And yet, like a lot of the rhetoric that I saw in that in the supernatural fandom was kind of the same as what I had seen, well, 15 years prior, frankly. And so that was a shock to me because it was kind of like, um, kind of a wake-up call that like maybe I was part of circles that were much more progressive than I thought because clearly like like I said we got a death threat because we said that Dean is queer. Marie's experience was the most intense example I heard of this but not the only one. 
Sadly, she wasn't even the only online death threat I heard about in my interviews. And I do assume this intense sense of ownership over characters has always been an issue in fandoms well beyond Supernatural. I also suspect this problem is escalated by the fact that so much of fandom life occurs online. Sure, folks can make friends within a fandom that they may see in person with some regularity, but a lot of these relationships are maintained through digital interactions. And I think we all know what a garbage fire places like Twitter and TikTok have become, worsening over the past years. And this brings me to the third complaint I heard within fandom that I'll just call general internet misbehavior. This includes everything from gossiping behind other fans' backs to bombarding them with negative messages to even trying to dox them or have their online accounts revoked. There's no nuance on Twitter. You know, it's very black and white and it's very like, so it's, yeah, it's a tread carefully kind of verse. (laughs) As Lizzie from episode three on art puts it, The internet seems to strip our ability to see context and our ability to not immediately blow up when we see something we don't agree with. There's a lot of people that could benefit from saying this is not worth my energy. And it's it's taken me a long time to get to that point. But of course, that's easier to say after a few experiences getting burned or watching others fall too deeply into the internet black hole. The number of times I've seen third-hand tweets of fans referencing drama within the Twitter SPN family is more than I can count in just a few years that I've witnessed the online fandom. Most of the time, I don't even know who started the drama or what the base accusation or attack was. I end up seeing cryptic, snide remarks with no sense of where it all arose. In fact, I met a fan who told me they'd been at a convention having a lovely time just to log into Twitter and see an online explosion about something that supposedly happened at the convention. They'd literally been there in the room where the supposed slight had occurred and had no idea how the internet storm had been spun up. Something about most interactions online seemed to cut that all-important context out. I really like the way Scout from episode three on art describes it. You create these big monsters in your head and then you're like, okay, that's a 47-year-old woman that's just angry. Uh, She goes home and she's upset and she gets on Twitter and she hates kids. (laughs) And so that's, that's what I've sort of learned. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be online trolls. And that's just as true in fan communities as it is anywhere else. It's just like any other place, especially Supernatural. It's just like any other place. There's always going to be an anonymous person that wants your head on a spike. Like, (laughs) that's just it. Especially if you have traction, anything. People are just like, they're just sharpshooters looking up at the sky. And they're like, if anything, if I see anything... So, I mean, I've had I've had a couple run-ins with negativity. I even spoke with one creator who said they became the internet's villain of the day when they recounted a less than super positive experience that they had had with a cast member. It was seriously a small potatoes complaint, but certain corners of the fandom rose up in fury and got their Etsy shop shut down for a while. Eventually, it all blew over, and thankfully, they weren't totally dependent on their Etsy income, Otherwise, the damage could have been much more long-lasting. 
And literally, as I write this, I see that another SPN fan has been banned from TikTok in a coordinated takedown attempt because other fans don't like their work. I won't name names, but I can almost guarantee that if you're in the fandom, you might have several thoughts on who this could be. My point is that this general internet phenomenon can do real damage. And while it might be comforting to pretend that this is all just the fault of Twitter or TikTok, it's not behavior limited to those platforms by any means. More visual-oriented platforms breed their own forms of bad behavior, usually centered on image stealing, as Jen told me. Well, probably the big one that the photographers have are people taking our pictures, which I have different photographers' pictures on my phone, but posting it without the watermark or cropping out the watermarks or editing. You know, some of us are a little bit more obnoxious with our watermarks because there's a reason. <laughs> In general, people should be better about crediting artists especially when resharing images they worked so hard on. It gets even more toxic when you see folks lifting images by photographers or artists and then trying to sell merchandise using those images that they just straight up stole. I've heard of more than a few instances of this within SPN fandom, but I sadly know this also happens in realms far outside fandom. I know this isn't a full accounting of every slight and disagreement and truly destructive act committed by someone within the Supernatural fandom. And I realize I haven't been here long enough to see the full context, including what went on during the early years, when culture as a whole may have been less tolerant and inclusive in general. When it comes to this internet misbehavior, I like to think of what Scout told me. I think that's that's what if people like to forget about family is that when you go to a family reunion, there's always like someone you just don't want to see. But you're like, oh, I hope that they don't talk to me. A lot of negative internet interactions can be avoided in the SPN family by just not interacting with that family member. Don't hold grudges. Don't try to dox people or get their accounts taken down. Just block and move on. It doesn't work for everything, sure. However, it could help cut 90% of the online BS, in my opinion. But I know the three negative aspects I focused on here don't account for all the problems in SPN family. I also know I'm missing out on a whole category around accessibility issues, which become especially relevant with in-person events like conventions or centering accessibility with image captions. As fan and disabled activist Valerie told me, A huge problem that this fandom has is it's very ableist and not maliciously. I think, you know, and I, I've spoken with this uh, in a few different places before, but we consider ourselves a very progressive fandom, I think, because it's pre predominantly women or non-men like making up the masses or predominantly queer or predominantly neurodivergent or disabled in some way, shape or form. So we're like, well, we must be progressive because we have all of these multiply marginalized identities. But at the same time, we're still like a bunch of white people for the most part. And that's a problem that not a lot of people examine. And even though a lot of people are neurodivergent and they are disabled, they still have like that internalized ableism to kind of work through. 
This is a huge category that I'm actually saving in my back pocket for a future season of the podcast, but I wanted to make sure that I at least recognized the issue and gave it voice here. So when I take full stock of SPN family and some of the dark sides within the fandom, I ask each one three core questions. Is the problem I'm hearing about really a problem? Is the problem unique to fandoms? And is it unique to the SPN family? Based on what we've heard today, I say, yes, there are some real problems. And many of these problems aren't unique to fandom. See, people being trolls online. But some of these are unique to fandom, like feeling ownership over characters and causing fights over ships. And some even represent a particular risk to SPN fandom, like unhealthy parasocial relationships. Mostly because while parasocial relationships can happen anywhere, repeated exposure at cons can make this way more likely. But I don't think these are struggles we can't overcome. Even my anti-fandom but secretly fan friends have some nice things to say about the SPN family. I will give the Supernatural fandom credit and that they seem to be not the worst of the bunch. They're not Harry Styles fans. Yeah. No, Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. Star Wars is so bad. Star Wars is so bad that it almost goes without saying. They've both actually listened to every episode in this podcast so far and have taken my points on community, creativity, and collaboration to heart. I am absolutely not here to dictate the way people can enjoy stuff. And like, the, yeah, I would say that all our complaints are actually outside of all the positives that you've said. Granted. I think they hope fandom just opens doors to even more new interests rather than being the end-all be-all. The Supernatural fans uh, and fandom in general, like, it's getting people to, like, listen to, like, free. I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, if it introduces a few more people to, like, the searing guitar licks of Paul Kossoff uh, and the strong backbeat of Simon Kirk, I'm okay with that. Thanks for sticking with me through the SPN Dark Side episode. As I said, this was a challenging one to create, but I think we need an honest accounting of fandom. I promise in the next episode of our road trip, we'll have smoother pavement. And if you think I misrepresented something or missed an important aspect, well, my Twitter DMs are open. Just remember to be civil, will ya? Before the credits, I wanna make a quick reminder that you can support the show by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. Your review goes a long way in helping other listeners discover the show, and I would be eternally grateful. Editorial support was provided by Dr. Anna Funk. Anna was also the voice reading Caitlin Tiffany's excerpt from Everything I Need I Get From You. Music was composed and performed by Chris Scott. Cover art was designed by Liz. Thanks to Meg, Rupert Gaze, Danny, and Marissa for supporting the show through Kofi. In Defense of Fandom was made possible through an unhealthy obsession and your support through Kofi. If you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to, you can find a link in the show notes. Your support is deeply appreciated. Thank you.